Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I'm David Cusimano here with Eric Wingerter. Hey, David. Hi, folks. Good to be talking again. And good to be talking, Eric, today about one of my favorite topics, <laughs> financial forecasting. If it was up to me, this would be a four-hour episode and days and days, but uh, we are going to be efficient, effective, and compelling and uh, give people the juiciest, most valuable highlights. So folks, in our last episode, we talked about ROA, ROE, why it's important to look, why margin is very important and you should grow your margin, but don't do it at the expense of ROA. We started to talk about some metrics that you want to look at on your financial statements. Today, we're going to look into the future. And I've had so many business owners say that what they would love to have is a tool to help them predict the future or see into the future. And uh, I like to say, we're going to do you one better. We're going to give you a tool to help you create the future. Let's not just know the future, let's make the future. And I think this is a tool that can really help us do that is, is financial forecasting. So Eric, where should we begin? I think probably the first place to start would be why is this so important? Up to this point, so much of what we've been talking about in some of our previous episodes have been a lot on the historical financial statements, the importance of having good financial accounting data to let us know where we are, where we've come from, et cetera, et cetera. This is really about now looking into the future. I like to always say looking through the windshield instead of through the rearview mirror. But why? Why is that important? We just can't get stuck on the past and then assume that the past is then the predictor of the future. It certainly is a good indicator, but it's certainly just looking in the rearview mirror all the time is not the best way to run your business. So whatever we can do to run the business by looking forward, looking through the windshield instead of in the rearview mirror, I think is important. Why is this important? Both for running your business operationally, as well as for any outside parties that may be interested in knowing more about what's the future of the business, whether that be bankers, whether that be other investors, things of that nature. Maybe some of your thoughts on that as well, David, I guess the importance of it. Absolutely. And I'm thinking, Eric, about proving to yourself whatever you're going to be doing in the future is going to work, right? Or at least can work. Usually we have a growth opportunity. We have something that we want to pursue in our business in the future. Obviously, if we're going to run our business again today, we do have something in the future that we want to pursue. Otherwise, we would close it. <laughs> so this growth opportunity or, or whatever it may be, and if we're scaling for trying to grow, there is an opportunity that we're going to go capture. We want to understand, can it work, right? Building a forecast doesn't guarantee that it will work, but it at least shows that there is a way. <laughs> and so thinking about demonstrating to myself and my team first that there is a path here. And I find, Eric, that the value in making a well-done uh, forecast or pro forma, another way that we, we can hear it said, is at least half the value is in building it. 
it's not the end product, it's the building. And so to kind of answer your why question to me, it is because when I have to now sit, and I've done this with so many businesses over the years, is when I have to sit and say, okay, how many units do you think you can sell and at what price? And they say, oh, well, maybe it's this many. Well, how do you know that? Oh, it's because of this. Can your current facility handle that many units? Where will you store them, right? And so all these questions are coming up that more often than not, the team says, oh, I hadn't thought of that one yet. Like, Not that they've never thought of anything, but there's certainly, we run into things they hadn't thought through yet. It forces the discipline around really maturing the business model, maturing their vision of the future. I would say, even if we never had a deliverable at the end, there would still be incredible value. <laughs> the deliverable would just maybe proof <laughs> that this team has thought this through at this point. And to your point, you were saying that that's when a company's looking at maybe a growth opportunity or something that it doesn't always have to just be that. I mean, it could be looking at how we talked about ROA and ROE last time. How can we make ourselves more efficient? So looking at the future through that lens of saying, even if our business stayed the same and wasn't growing, if we could get more efficient, there's value to be driven as a result of getting more efficient in our operations. And so it opens up so many opportunities, as you say, for the team to really discuss the possibilities, as you said, to build that future as opposed to letting it just happen to you. I agree 100%. Just the exercise itself is so important. But clearly, with a target set to have an end product of something that is basically the culmination of that whole process is certainly something that's worthwhile. Because as we all know, no matter what we set out as far as our projections, as far as what we believe is going to happen, none of that ever happens exactly the way we originally anticipated. So building that model to be able to adjust and reflect those changes that are happening every single day is very, very important. Absolutely. And Eric, I think back to your comment about external parties, I know we'll do a whole episode on that maybe next or in the near future. I think it is important to underscore here as well that yes, they're likely any external party that wants to get involved in your business, any serious external party, whether it be a bank or equity investor or potential an operating partner, even they almost definitely will want to see what does the future look like and what do you think it will look like and see it in their terms and their language. And that language is often a financial statement pro forma. <laughs> so uh, you're speaking their language when we build that. And then also, Eric, to your comment about like, is it actually going to all play out like this? The answer is probably no, right? I mean, that you will have the exact dollar amount in your bank account five years from now that your performance says you will. What are the odds of that? You're probably more likely to be struck by lightning, maybe twice, right? Then that happens. But what you're doing is you're demonstrating there is a path. There's a reasonable path. And as we talk in just a sec, we'll get into scenarios and sensitivities, which I think are so critical when we build this out. So I guess... Is this the right time to dive into, uh, I guess, the mechanics? Yeah, I think diving into the mechanics, and I would say there's three major components in my mind, David. May, you, you may have others, but I think first and foremost, making sure that you're identifying all the key variables that drive changes in the business model. And then with that identified, being able to flush out the sensitivities, as you say, that as those variables change, how does that impact the model and all components of it? And the last being, I think, that 
it's so important that whatever we're modeling, that we're doing it in a three statement format. And by that, I mean, we're modeling the income statement, the balance sheet and the cash flow statement of the company, because without that, you're missing so many components. The real value of this process and the model is when you can see the impact that all of these variables have on the entire business, not just the profitability of the business, but the cash flows of the business. What does that mean in the balance sheet? What does that mean as far as having to leverage the company? All of that. So, so I think those are the three key things. Maybe when we unpack the actual process of building a model would be those three components. But you may have some others. A hundred percent. Well, I think everything that I would say, Eric, would fall into those three. So many times we see entrepreneurs, especially new entrepreneurs or smaller businesses, and their forecast is, okay, I can sell this many units for this many dollars. That's my revenue. My expenses will be this. Aha, I'm profitable. <laughs> Look at that. And I might be right. The income statement might even show that. But then, hey, will you have to buy any equipment to make this all come to life, right? Will there be any accounts receivable, any inventory? How many people will you have to hire? So I think there's all these different things that need to be thought through on that. So I would say at a high level, yes, it's those three financial statements. And I always prefer to start with a monthly base. There are times where we need to look into the future at weekly intervals. If we're making a 13-week cash flow, especially for a company with some serious cash sensitivity or cash challenges. But for most forward-looking measurements of businesses, we can stay on a monthly basis. There are, are even times, I think, where we can do annual And it can make sense, particularly when I've modeled out acquisitions of businesses. I've sometimes done that on an annual basis. But what I always prefer to do is just build it monthly and I can sum the months into years. Quarterly, annually, semi-annually, yeah. Right, exactly, or quarters or something. So I I like to start with a a base of monthly and that way I can carry that out. People ask, well, you know, how many years should you have or how long should it be monthly versus yearly? I don't know that there's a hard and fast rule in that. I think definitely the next year you should understand what's going on monthly. And I prefer to just build it out monthly for the next five years, knowing that, of course, the fidelity is going to get lower as we go further into the future. I want to emphasize this because I know we've gotten into this before where a company says, ah, you know, ah, quarterly is good enough for me. And you start building it that way. And then they're like, man, I wish I would have this monthly. Going back and redoing it, is a lot more work and effort. So I agree, setting it on at least a monthly basis and setting it at that level is easier to then, as you say, sum up differently quarterly, semi-annually, annually. But going back and doing it at a more detailed level is usually a lot more challenging. And folks, I believe Eric is speaking from experience. (laughs) Experience. Out of some past pain. Certainly a recommendation, especially if you're paying someone to build this for you, which might be a good idea. If you start off saying, no, let's build it annually, save some money, and then later you need it monthly, they're going to be frustrated and you're going to end up paying more than you would have if you just started with monthly. <laughs> so just a good uh, word of wisdom there for anybody who is getting ready to kick off a project like that. So how do we do this? And before we even get even more granular, maybe one more thought, Eric, on A business owner who says, wait, I don't know Excel very well. I'm certainly don't know Excel like maybe a financial analyst or an investment banker, but I do want to understand a picture of my business. What should I do? How deep do I need to know this? I think the answer to me is very similar to our answer in our last couple of episodes is that you have to know your forecast. 
And you have to know the numbers that spit out in your future financial statements. You need to be able to understand, hey, look, our margin, our ROA is going from 14% to 16%, which is an increase, and here's why. You need to be able to speak that language. Do you need to know have all the Excel skills to make that spit out? No, absolutely not. In fact, I would highly recommend if you're not someone who knows Excel super well, it's probably not the best use of your time to add that skill, unless this is just something you will need on a regular basis, it's probably better use of your time to stay strategic and hire someone. Or to utilize some internal resources that you may have that are much better than that. That's right. You probably have an accountant, a CFO or something on your team who can do that. So with that being said, here we go. So yes, I think it's very important. I always start with revenue. Salespeople love to hear that. They say, if nothing gets sold, nothing happens. And there is an element of truth to that. But first, thinking about what is the future revenue of my business? What could it be? And I look at, if you're going to say, yeah, our revenue was 10 million last year and we can grow at 10%. So it'll be 11 million next year. If that's the extent of the thought, I think you're not doing this exercise justice, right? It's much better to say, okay, how many units did we sell? Everyone has units of something. It could be units of time, units of widgets, units of something, right? How many units did we sell? And at what price per unit? And now what do we think is going to happen in the future? And so do I think I can sell X number more? Do I think I can sell at a higher price point because we've really been investing in our brand power and our differentiation because I've been listening to these episodes of the Emerge Dynamics podcast, right? And so I know my price per unit can now be higher. All legitimate things, right? I'm joking, but not really. I think these are all things that can push margin up. But we need to have a sound, straight-faced defense, for where I think my revenue is going to go and then look at from there, do I have the capacity? So one is, can my facility hold it? An example could be a restaurant. If you're currently operating at 80% capacity on Friday and Saturday nights and you're forecasting to double your revenue, this is going to be tricky because you can't put twice the people in your dining room. Now, if you couple this with a dining room expansion or a second location or some takeout business, then this might make sense. But these are the things we want to have thought out and planned and ready to articulate when people start asking us this. And again, first we ask ourselves this. If we can't answer to ourselves, don't waste your money or your friends and family's money. And then from there, Eric, I'll just say one more thing is just on revenue is then we need to think about well, what's the sales force that needs to make this revenue happen. So this becomes into an employee forecast. So what I like to do with every business is first look at their existing employee base and then look, okay, who needs to be on the team in order to make this happen going forward? If someone's forecasting, I'm going to raise my revenue 80% next year and I'm going to not add any people, you should be questioning that. Again, it might be accurate, right? Crazier things have happened, but we should be ready to say, yes, I understand Mr. or Mrs. Banker, I understand that I did just tell you I'm going to raise my revenue 80% without any increase in employees, and that is reasonable, and here's why, right? That might be a credible narrative. Should you get that question and you just say, uh, I don't know, like the conversation's over. They may be nice and smile for a few more minutes, but the conversation's over, right? So, But usually it doesn't work that way. Usually if you're increasing revenue 80%, somebody else has to be added to this team. Maybe it's a, a salesperson, maybe it's a fulfillment person in operations, maybe it's a manager, but I can't say the right, the exact right answer because I don't know this. Everyone's got different scenarios, but the idea is you should have that mapped out to fit your scenario, your growth. 
Right. So, David, I may be kind of summarizing when we're talking about the income statement, which is what we, we've really been talking about here is the impact on the income statement, is we start with the revenues and breaking that down to units and pricing and having sensitivities to that because, hey, if I raise the price this way, it affects the units this way. If I raise the units, uh, but the price stays the same, it goes this way. But having that built into the model, basically having that same information for your unit cost that go with that to get to your gross profit. And then you start getting into your operations. And those operations, as you said, about capacity would be both from, hey, what do I need to make that happen from a selling perspective? And then from an executional perspective, operationally. So you kind of put just... Keep on going down the the income statement, if you will, but building off of that top line, if you will, and the sensitivities that you've put into that, and then you kind of let the rest flow out of there. That would be a good summary? Absolutely. Yep. I'd agree. Well, after that, again, in the thinking of we need to make this a three-statement model, then we would obviously, whatever that income statement generates as far as activities are concerned, Each one of those revenue generating activities or costs associated with those revenue generating activities has an impact on the cash flows of the business and the balance sheet, right? Because when it comes to, say, capacity, it may be hiring more people and we may be hiring those people before the revenue is fully generated or the timing of the payments for those hirings may be different than when the receipts are coming in from the increase in the revenues, all of that needs to then be built into uh, flowing through to both the balance sheet and the income statement. Could we talk a little bit about that maybe? Not get into, I mean, we can't get into all the details of that and actually build an model. But I would say, Eric, yeah, the three main drivers on the balance sheet are going to be day sales outstanding, days inventory, and days payable. There are others, especially leverage and debt and things like that. But operationally, let's say we discover that our customers have been paying us in 60 days, but our terms with our customers are 30 days. That might be our growth opportunity right there, right? And we may say, well, hang on, maybe our AR department is not doing so well. Maybe they could be doing better. And I think I can get this 60 down to 45 by having a closer relationship with these customers and training my AR team better, maybe replacing someone on my AR team. But that would absolutely, and when you have a well-built model, you can actually toggle that as a variable. If you start with 60, you turn it down to 50 or 45, you'll actually see your accounts receivable therefore drops and the cash in your bank account goes up. All business owners, I think, can uh, resonate with that being a good thing, right? More cash. So DSO for day sales outstanding, DPO for days payable outstanding, and the last point? Is a day's inventory, D-I-O or D-I-H, day's inventory outstanding or day's inventory on hand. Same equation, same formula, same concept. Yeah, which plays very much into your cost of goods. And I know that for some of the folks in the audience, they may say, well, you know what? I'm a service company, and so I don't have any inventory. Well, no, actually you do. <laughs> Your inventory is your people and not to belittle by any stretch of the imagination. But those people, when they are not being productive and generating revenue, then that's like an inventory of time. It's a cost that you're incurring on a daily basis. And so running some calculations on that, maybe in the efficiency or 
the percentage of time productive, some other type of calculation like that would be something that would be applicable in replacement of a day's uh, inventory on hand. Yeah, that's a good point. It, it might not actually, by GAAP standards, show up on the balance sheet, but those people are absolutely a resource, right? Um, yeah, well said. And then, David, I know really when it comes to the cash flows, I always like to say it's kind of the catch-all. It's kind of all of the activity and the revenues have to somehow or other flow through to the cash flow statement. And all of the other activities in the balance sheet have to flow through to the cash flow statement. And I know on a simplistic way of doing the cash flow statement, you start with revenues, you start with the profitability of the company, the net income of the company, and then you start looking at addbacks of items that are non-cash in nature. And then you start to analyze the changes in your balance sheet. That's a very, very high level way of looking at the cash flow statement. But it is a way for us to actually understand that all of these things that are flowing through the income statement, all of the activities on the balance sheet ultimately affect cash at the end of the day. And so by doing that analysis, then we see, well, what's happening to my cash balance? Is my cash balance growing? Is my cash balance declining? Do I have a negative cash balance and I need to go out there and have some financing if this is the reality that I'm projecting out? That's really where the rubber meets the road at the end of the day is can this reality actually come to fruition here? Can the business sustain this or does it have to go out there and get some other type of resource in order to sustain that? Whether that be input from the ownership, input from other outside parties, banks, things of that nature. But it is critical. The cash flow statement is critical in this whole analysis. Without that, we're just missing the boat. 100%. And Eric, I think you're getting to, I know we're going to run long here, but I think with the next few minutes, we can put some icing on the cake here. I think you're getting to it. And so folks, if you, everything we've said up till now or up till maybe 30 seconds ago is traditional building a financial model. And there's a lot more that goes into it than what we just said in the last 20 minutes. But hopefully we're giving the idea of this is important. You should pay attention to it. Here's some basic points. What we're going to say now, what Eric just started saying, and what we're going to say now, I think is where you really start to generate amazing value beyond probably 90% of the financial models out there. And that comes in the form of, like Eric said, you need to understand the cash flow. With what I've forecast, am I going to run out of cash? And if so, why is that? Is it because I have a bad model or do I just need to raise money? And that's where this really starts to have value is when I need to raise money for my business to be able to articulate to an investor, here's the amount of money I need. And I can show you on forecast financial statements where your money goes into my company and then where it later comes back out of my company at a larger amount. And here's the crux. Here's the return on your investment that I can deliver to you. Should the world unfurl in this way into the future Now you're really starting to talk language that makes future financial partners really comfortable with what's going on with you. Well, and I know that in and of itself is another topic for us to unpack in another episode here coming up shortly, David, because that ability to be bankable, to be able to attract investors as needed to support the growth of your business in the right way and to show the right payback, as you said, 
to them. That's where it all comes together. And that's where all of this really makes sense. And, and really is where it's kind of the make or break of a company because I've seen so many that have just done really well at growing the business. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh my gosh, I don't have any cash in the bank. I don't know how I'm going to make payroll next week. And it didn't have to happen that way. With foresight, it could have happened much better. And then here's the last bit of icing on the cake here. And that is that a static forecast is also a very limited value, right? To just build out, here's what I think is going to happen. And here, therefore, here's my future financial statements. As we said in the beginning, probably the world's not unfolding that way. So how do we make this even more powerful, incredibly more powerful, is build scenarios. And what I like to say is build dynamic, real-world scenarios that define how the world might actually happen in the future. To say, okay, if my revenue goes up 5%, my business looks like this. If it goes up 10%, my business looks like this. And just changing some cells in Microsoft Excel so that your financial statements update That's not a scenario. That's a sensitivity, right? We're doing is we're demonstrating how sensitive the output of the model is to certain changes in inputs. That's very good to do. I highly recommend it. You should do that too. A scenario is more, hey, we are going to launch this new service in the midst of a recession. And there's some things that might happen here. One, inflation might double over the next year. And at the same time, people might really embrace our service. And at the same time, maybe one of our partners quits on us and we lose access to a key vendor, right? That's a possible state of the world, which would not be a good one, right? Another, so we, let's map that out and say, what if that happens? Is our business dead? Are we just struggling when we make it through anyway? We should know that. Another scenario might be, okay, inflation actually tapers a bit. Maybe we win a key contract with a key supplier that allows us to get our margins down 10%. To have a dynamic actual narrative of multiple future states of the world, so compelling and so much more powerful for helping us not just see visibility into the future, but to create that future. No, David, and I know we got to close out, but having those key parameters, key variables, all located in one area of your spreadsheet to allow for that scenario planning is just so, so important. And again, it speaks to, like we said at the beginning, don't build this on an annual basis and then come back and say, I should have built it on a monthly basis. Building that structure of that forecast that allows for that variability and to run those sensitivities, to have those discussions with whatever party, whether they be internal or external parties, to see, well, okay, what happens if this doesn't happen the way that you're thinking that it could happen? What would that look like? It's like, Okay, well, hold on. let's run that. Having that flexibility is so, so important. So we want to definitely make sure we emphasize that. Excellent. So folks, if you thought this episode was valuable, just wait till next week. There's more. We're going to carry this conversation forward into now, how do I use this to talk with financial partners and lenders or equity investors to make my business more attractive to them? You know, what are the, some of the specifics that they'll be looking for? How do we finance them? So plenty more to come. Can't wait to see you next week. 